when Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Slap, slap, slap. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through their mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to the Stop Fucking Shooting Nuno Tavares podcast with Alexander Moneypenny, my very good friend Bradley Adams, and I'm delighted to say, joining us on the podcast again after his brilliant turn last time, is RJ Rohan, RJ Arsenal blog. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hashtag welcome Rohan. Unbelievable. <laughs> Here he is. He's back. How are you, mate? New signing. He's <laughs> oh, like a really- new signing. <laughs> really good to be back you know I really enjoyed it the first time um yeah I just I just love talking about football you know obviously Arsenal in general and um yeah yeah I'm hey. really happy that you've given me the chance to come on you're in the right place my friend we talk about football um also something I wanted to uh, put to you last time I remember you saying that you you'd not missed an Arsenal game in nine years well and I believe then... that's changed yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're so sad I'm, the heartbreak. I, think, I think you would have seen the tweets I've deleted a lot of them after because it wasn't professional at all but um <laughs> it was really I, I've, I was already having a bad day right and uh because of the trains <laughs> the trains all got cancelled I was waiting at a station for like two hours I got home I thought okay forget what's happened today Arsenal are on I can I can at least watch my team play football. Oh great, yeah. No one was televising the game. Like I I can't remember the last time that's happened. Like yeah. I was just scrolling through checking like is is am I missing something? Yeah. Is, is everyone is are people watching the game then I realized no one was televising and I was constrained to someone's iPhone at the game of thought what am I doing here? I just switched it all off and just <laughs> Just kept up to date with the score. It was actually the first time where Arsenal won a game and I was actually still really annoyed and like upset because I just <laughs> yeah. couldn't see it. And so that, that record's gone now. Yeah. Uh, does it does it hurt more to know that me and Brad were both there? Oh sorry. <laughs> the pain. The pain. <laughs> the pain. Do you know what um someone actually did um put the full game out um after I Yeah, I saw that. To get it. And um thankfully I managed to watch it back, but yeah, it was. It's, it's not the still same. really. It's not the same. You're fuming. Yeah. You're absolutely raging. No, seriously. I, I, I genuinely. I was so so sad. Like every goal that went as well, because I know I think it was like Martinelli scored and um, Smith Rowe and Enketia scored, right? And, yeah, I um, made the Enketia finish. Yeah, the Enketia goal was class, wasn't it? And um, I just didn't care. Like, yeah. I couldn't see the game. But it's obviously, an I was happy game. we were through. But um, yeah, I was just yeah, so course. sad. So Welcome back to the Different Podcast. Lovely to have you here. Um, we, uh, you were also both at the game yesterday. We How were, was that, yes. Brad? I'll start with you. How was the atmosphere? How was the vibe? Did you catch a vibe? Caught a vibe? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, I mean, I, I'm starting. I don't know about you, Rohan. I'm starting to get bored of the Tottenham chance. Oh yeah. Oh, the, the Tottenham chance. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I, I'd agree. <laughs> Antonio Conte bloody released a Christmas album today on their Twitter. <laughs> and, oh, well, according to their tweet. And I'm just bored of singing oh, about them. Mate. They're an irrelevant yeah. club. They're 11, what, four miles and 11 titles away. Just let it go. And I, I do think it's because maybe our generation, who were the ones filling up the stadiums now, are so starved of league success. But yeah. where are the old songs? Like, where are the... Where, like, no one yesterday was singing, like, the Saka and Smith Rowe chant. No one yesterday was singing any of those ones. And just constant stand-up if you hate Tottenham. It's, I, I don't... I, the thing is, I don't hate Tottenham. I don't associate with Tottenham. They're irrelevant. 
It's, it genuinely is just starting to annoy me because it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you actually yeah. start giving them more oxygen. They're like a yeah. little fire and you keep feeding it to them. Bastards. <laughs> rattled, rattled within Good 30 human. seconds. A lot, a lot of anger on this podcast so far. Um, oh. Rohan, how'd you find the game? Do you enjoy? Do you know what? That's so hilarious. But I actually do agree with Bradley as well. You know, it is a bit, it's getting a bit boring as well, isn't it? But yeah, I've, um, I love going to Arsenal games and that was my second one this season. So it was actually the first time I, I saw the, the new players like live in the flesh. The first time was the Chelsea game where, you know, saw Lukaku just rip Pablo Mari apart. And um, mm. so yesterday was, was really good. You know, I, I, I always like to kind of, see what the mood is like um mm. around the ground and it's all pretty positive to be fair and it's it's quite it's really good to see and um the atmosphere was 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 good um i think obviously certain areas of the ground you're gonna be able to hear it a lot more than others but um no, no i was really happy and um the performance as well particularly the second half was there were a lot of positives to mm. it so um, i'm sure mm. we're going to be getting into that um in this this podcast yeah absolutely i think it's interesting isn't it like the difference between watching it on tv and having and not having that frame to watch it through live. And I find the narratives become different. It's so interesting, like what you, when you go on Twitter or something, or you look on Sky after after the game, you see what people took from the game. And when you're there, it's just not, it's it's never quite the same. And you, and you get such a different energy from it. I think it's really interesting. And, you know, where narratives come from. I think a lot of it is through the framing of, you know, whoever the, whoever's commentating specifically in the game yesterday. There was a lot of commentary on Gabrielle. And I thought Gabriel had a fantastic game, you know, saying, oh, you know, Wilson's getting the, the better of him. Because I guess they want to make it a contest and they want to make it an interesting, if it's just yeah. going to be, you know, you know, Newcastle going to get flattened here. It's not going to be a very interesting piece of TV. And that's the that's the thing they want. So I, I, I do think it's interesting. And if you, obviously, if you, we're very lucky that we can get to the games. And if you can, it's a, it's an amazing experience. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think that's a really good point you make. Um, I, I like to, with Arsenal games, you know, even if I go to them or not, I always watch them back twice, the whole 90 minutes. I've been doing that for like four or five years. And I, I felt that's the same commitment. actually when... I just love it, you know, and it's like, um, yeah, when watching it back, because obviously when you're at the ground, you don't really know what people are really saying. And um, yeah, watching the whole game uh, with commentary and it, it did feel like that they were trying to make the game competitive when in reality mm. it wasn't, wasn't it? So um, yeah, that's a really Ooh. interesting point. Mm. Uh, all right, let's get on to the game then. Should we do, do our it. words of the game? Rohan, uh, seeing as we, are, we were on you just then, let's go with you. What's your word of the game? Do you know what? It's... I really like this segment that you do. Um, it's it's really innovative. Well, you know, so, uh, <laughs> it's really good. And um, I'm I not going to try and claim any credit. It's totally Alex. <laughs> no, it's class. Um, I think there's a there's a lot of words um, that immediately spring to mind um, when I think about that performance. But I think the one I'll go for is mentality. And um, obviously, you look back at that game, and in terms of individual performances, again, I thought Tommy Asa was fantastic in the way that he handled one of the most dangerous outlets in the league in Alan St. Maxman. You know, Newcastle, their their hopes over the last um, season and a half since he's been at the club have stemmed from him and, and what he gives to them in the sense of his ability to kind of create for himself. He doesn't need to have players around him. He can go past three or four players with ease and um, just create something for the team. And I thought Tom Yesu was very underrated in the how he managed to kind of nullify him. Ben White and Gabriel, those two forming an incredible partnership um, at the heart of the defence, showing great qualities with and without the ball. Bukai Saka as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have been giving him a lot of criticism this season. But for me, I think whilst he hasn't been at his scintillating best, he's still been able to influence games where we have um, been on top in periods. You know, look at the games against Aston Villa, Leicester, Watford, 
where we did manage to score goals in those games, Saka was a massive threat for us on that right-hand side. And I thought yesterday, that was his like game of he was the man, you know, in an attacking sense for us, you know, in the first half and the second half, particularly when he did at times rotate and drift towards the left-hand side. You know, Bukai Saka's best position for me is without the shadow of a doubt on the right-hand side. But sometimes, obviously, you need to have that rotation, that interchange. And um, he caused a lot of problems when he did go towards the left on two occasions. You know, the first half where he created the chance for Smith Rowe and Bamiang with the miss and um, in the second half his goal. Um, mm. <laughs> so mm. he, he was fantastic. But I'll go with mentality because the two players who I think had massive games in different ways were Nuno Tavares and Sambi Lukonga. And I look at these two and it's great business in terms of what the club managed to do because they identified profiles, they identified players who were required to fit into the way Mikel Arteta wants to play and the potential they have. They suit that to a T. And both of them have done really well since they've came to the club. But I look back at the Liverpool game and I think that was probably the for both of them a game where they had their first setback in an Arsenal shirt. You know, not a setback that's going to kind of define what they do for the club, but it was a game where they did struggle um, in the second half. You know, Sambi Lukonga, if we start with him, I thought in the first half against Liverpool, I thought he did really well in terms of kind of occupying Ox and also um, helping Tavares and Gabriel when Salah was isolated. But in the second half, where there was that intensity, that pressure from Liverpool, he struggled to kind of handle that game state and he was mm. making mistakes on the ball. And he got hooked for Ainsley um, pretty early on after... Um, he did make some of those errors. And the same with Nuno Tavares as well. He, he didn't get hooked, obviously. He played on for the whole game. Whilst he had a really good first-half performance for me against Liverpool, he had a massive blunder in that game. And um, you can kind of expect that because he's a young player, but it was a setback for him and he did receive criticism. So I always look at players, young players, where you're always going to make mistakes, but it's how you react from those mistakes. Mm. And I think if we look at Tavares in the Newcastle game, first half, I think he showed a lot of rawness within the final third in terms of inexperience in the way, you know, his decision-making, you know, and his crossing in in advanced areas was um, rather wasteful in situations where we were creating promising, promising moments. And um, again, it was kind of like my thoughts going to halftime. I thought, I think we need Kieran Tierney um, in the team on the left-hand side. But Tavares' reaction in the second half yeah. was immense. You know, it was Bro. actually sublime. Like, and I think you've got to give a lot of credit to, you know, a young player who is able to kind of respond to that. And that's just elite mentality from him. You know, you look at the opening goal for Saka, the pass, the quick decision making, the awareness to play it straight to Saka, who was, you know, so close to being offside. That mm-hmm. was the difference. But it wasn't just that pass. Because if you actually rewind and look at the build up to that goal, he was the one who actually won the ball back from deep and then he drove forward. And then the second goal, when Wilson was put through, it was Tavares using his exceptional pace and power and recovery to kind of prevent that from happening. Definitely wasn't a penalty without a shadow of a doubt. No. And um, no. and then we managed to kind of score the goal after that in the build-up. So he had pivotal moments and he reacted to a big setback. And I think that's massive mentality. And Sambi Lukonga, whilst Tavares had, for me, a poorer first off display. I thought Lukonga was immense throughout the whole game. You know, the way he dictated from deep, the passes he played through the lines um, to the likes of Odegaard and, um, you know, the long ball to Saka in the first half was was brilliant. And his awareness to stay like... Um, really disciplined positionally because obviously Gabriel, Ben White, Tomiyasu got a lot of credit in terms of how they nullified that dangerous front line of St. Maxman and Wilson in particular. But Lukonga did really well to support them as well. Mm. And um, mm. again, it's another example for me of really good mentality of not allowing setbacks to kind of, you know, define you as a player and um, 
because a lot of players, you know, when they do make those mistakes, they'll crumble. But these guys still always demand for the ball. They want to make an impression. And um, yeah, I, I was really yeah. impressed with them. I don't think Tavares for me was my man of the match. I think Sambi Lukonga was up there, but um, definitely two players who, you know, I was really impressed with in different ways. And statistically, it matches as well. Like Lukonga has a 92% pass accuracy on 89 passes in the game, which is an unbelievable stat. Six key passes from central midfield, which is unbelievable. One big chance created, uh, three ground duels contested, 2-1, like a sensational game from the central yeah. midfield all yeah. around. He, uh, My dad, who I took to the game, lifelong Sunderland fan, is not the most avid of, of football fans. He's not the most kind of intellectual. He's very much one of these pump it long and shoot types like we were talking about <laughs> earlier. And he, he turned to me and went, that Lakonga is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, without knowing anything about Lakonga, not knowing his age profile or anything and just going like, he is sensational and mm. Like the fact that the, the that level of his game is translating to with greatest respect and love to my dad, a more basic understanding of the game is brilliant to see. And it shows that level of quality really, really well. Yeah. And I think, Rohan, you're right to pick up on mentality as well, because if you're a manager and you're in a situation where, and you know, let's not mince our words, two players who had pretty poor performances at Anfield what do you do with those players? You know, what do you do? And he, and he said before the game, he was asked about Tavares um, and, and his decision to stick with him. And he said, when a player is trying and doesn't hide for me, play him again. That's fantastic man management to, for me. And, and I think, you know, potentially we had a bit of luck with the fixtures. You know, Newcastle aren't going to provide you the biggest kind of, uh, kind of test necessarily. But I think, you know, we've all said, we've all watched for so many years of the Socrates and Mustafis and Willian types and Louises and other names that I could go on, making mistake after mistake after mistake and seeing young players come back and put in a performance like that when when they have been down so hard in the week. I think, it, it, yeah, it's testament to them, but it was also testament to the, to the to the man management. I also want to pick up on your point about Saka. I think we forget he's so young. He's, he's I think he's, is he the youngest player on our team? I think he is. Because I think he's younger than um, Tavares. Um, um, I'll Google. Yeah, have a, have a Google. I th oh, certainly, certainly second youngest. One of the youngest. Them, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, something that I'd I'd love to get your take on as well is, and something I've I've long sort of championed about Saka is is how he uses his body. He is so able to wriggle out of those spaces. He's and there's a moment where the ball comes over to him, and I think he's holding off like Lascelles or something. And we see Lascelles. Lascelles is a big guy. Lascelles is able to hold himself, and Saka holds him off. I think he's only like five seven, five eight or something like that. Holds him off and lets the ball drop and keeps the ball up there. Part of our problem, and hopefully something we can solve in the transfer market for me, is being unable to hold that ball in zone 14, in, in the final third, and being able to give it to a potentially, you know, a number nine or someone up there who can hold the ball for us. I think Saka will develop into that as well and, and can be part of that solution. Um, and I, I think he, I think he's brilliant. My my word of the game before I come over to you, Brad, is defence. Saka's um, the youngest. Saka's the youngest. Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, he's, I think, I, I, I just think, I think sometimes we forget just how young this guy is and just how good he could be. Yeah, his IQ as well, if you think about it, the amount of positions that he's played and he's still being able to influence the game, you know, at left back, at yep. left wing back, right wing back, right wing, left wing, attacking midfield, so many positions. Managers, you know, and managers if we'd have just put him at left back in that, that's the biggest mistake I think Arteta made last season. Yes. Left back yes. of Villarreal and 
we're through and we beat them in the final because they were I'm, I'm so I'm so happy you said that because that is literally the same thoughts that I had because I I value like system and structure more than individual um preferences because obviously Bukai Saka is by far our best player on the right wing but we had a massive problem with Kieran Tierney being out injured. We needed to react and Bukai Saka would have given us something similar to what Tierney would have provided on the left-hand side. But that's a different topic. But um, yeah, I'm happy actually <laughs> yeah. you said that. Yeah. Actually, well, let's stick on that just for a second because I, I, I am interested in, in both your takes on this. I think Arteta's sticking with Tavares, uh, as well as being good man management, does, for me, work systemically better. I think at the moment, without Xhaka, we don't quite have that ball progression in the left channel that Tavares can provide for us from deep. I wonder, do you think Tierney comes back in? I, I'm just not convinced because I, 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 I think if he was going to come back in, surely it would have been, it would have been in the Newcastle game, surely. And, and I think what Tavares offers us, yes, as much as he can frustrate with his, um, his, his tendencies to have, have pot shots, but I think he offers us so much in terms of ball progression. And I think also as an athlete, I mean, I saw a tweet yesterday, something was like, stick everyone on Tavares' diet, you know, because he, this guy is a machine. Yeah. It's he incredible. Is, he's, he's a tank. I think, um, do you know, it's a good point because for me, you know, going into the Newcastle game, that was the exact 11 I wanted, but I wanted Tierney to come back in for mm. Tavares. Um, not not because of the, the mistake that Tavares made in, against Liverpool, but just for me, I, I do value like experience and um, and a guy who's showed me over a large sample size that he gives me consistent reliability and also quality. So it's more of the safer option with Tierney, but I am actually happy that Arteta went with Tavares in the end because mm. I think the points he made in his press conference were brilliant because, you know, the best way to kind of, you know, allow a young player to to learn from his mistakes is potentially throwing them in again, you mm-hmm. know, and um, seeing how they react. And now it's a situation where going into the United game, I think the performance he provided doesn't warrant him being dropped. So mm. I think I would keep him in. You know, it's mm. um, football's a funny game because, you know, Newcastle, I wanted Tierney in, but Tavares has came in and um, I loved his reaction. And I think, yeah, definitely throw him in the game against um, uh United and it's a good it's actually a good point you make in terms of build it because whilst I think he can improve in terms of his technical security his ball retention at times um, can be off but I think that's more to do with his decision making I think he's definitely got the quality because I see so many times he's able to play a pass into um, the left half space if a Bamyang's dropping in or a Mill Smith Rose dropping in and it just splits the lines he did it so many times against Leicester um, mm-hmm. in the build up to many passages we had so he d- definitely has the quality and obviously with him being two footed along with Tomiyasu it gives us a lot of variety yep. in the way we can progress mm. because I've seen a lot of occasions where we have been pressed with Tavares and they kind of stop that ball being played out wide but you can just tuck it in onto his right foot and he can progress play using using that that foot as well and it's yep. the same with Tommy Yasu as well so definitely gives us a lot of variety and I would I'd keep him in against United now so um, because yep. he, he deserves it yeah my my word of the game is defense and I think not only is it defensive a kind of a new arsenal after a kind of a bit of a, a, a sort of a a whack against Liverpool and, and a potentially a dent to that confidence and, a, you know, the ability for us to come out and defend that, that, you know, call it a revolution, call it whatever you want, you know, the, the product of two years together, the defending this kind of, this new, new energy around the place. I think that's also where the game was won and lost. I think, um, yeah, you know, especially the kind of, I'm going to make up a word now, ambipedality uh, of, uh, uh, it's definitely not a word, of uh, Tavares and Tomiyasu allows allows inversion, allows underlaps, overlaps, and it provides us so many more options. I think we're seeing the impact of fullbacks in, in you know, in, in sort of in the wider league and around around football at the moment. Rhys James, Ben Chilwell, um, 
providing so much for for Chelsea and and obviously you know Trent etc for other teams um and I thought Ben White and Gabriel again had a fan, had fantastic games Ben White you know Gabriel dealing with Callum Wilson really well but Ben White stepping out um he was what was he I wrote down at one point he was breaking lines taking the balls off the Newcastle plays he was winning duels pinging balls left and right like he was there was one was, moment he got himself in a situation where it looked like he'd lost the challenge and he wriggled his way out of it and left it with the ball like he was he was on point and yep. on your point about fullbacks you know i think of uh, i was watching the city game earlier and it's like the ball from cancelo over to mares yeah. but you consider they're having to they're playing a right back at left back to get that quality of ball. The fact that both are right back and left back at the moment have such quality on both feet just allows us to switch play in an instant like that mm-hmm. and and take an overload on one side to just complete free space. And it's so, so helpful. It's so, so helpful. Yep. Both of these pickups are up there with kind of signings of the summer. And it's really strange to think with a club who historically have done horrendous transfer business that you can talk about probably every single summer signing as what as like a who is number one. Like mm-hmm. you could mm-hmm. you could make a case for Tavares at the moment. You could make a case for Ramsdale. You could make a case for Tomiyasu. Each of these players has revolutionised our game, and it's it's taken us that next level up to the point where we're what th- what four four five points off the top mm-hmm. after a horrendous start to the season. Before we all pen love letters to Arsenal's back five, Brad, should we have your word of the game? Uh, my word of the game was bounce for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was a bounce back for Arsenal after a heavy defeat that um, whilst it didn't affect my mood as much as kind of other heavy defeats have, because I felt like we would learn from this. When I first, I got to the ground quite early, there was quite a nervy atmosphere when the first fans were kind of rolling in because this is the first time we've seen this new team have the opportunity with everyone there to really bounce back. And I think they did it in style. And I think we negotiated the possible new manager bounce of Eddie Howe really well. I think we nullified Newcastle pretty much entirely. Um, I think that their main threat came from kind of long shots and and hoping St. Maximin would would turn into Neymar. And like it was, it really was that, that perfect response to to the last game. And I think you have to give all credit to, to Arteta for sticking Tavares back in and sticking Lakonga back in because that was a big risk. One that, because I still think he's in a very fractious position as a manager. There's still a lot of fans who, who don't want him around and there's still a lot of, um, there's no real goodwill there. So making a big decision like that, that could have fallen flat on its face against a possible team going through a new manager bounce and having it come off, you have to give him the plaudits for that. Because that is that is that was an, a, a brilliant piece of management and decision. Very good, making. Brad. Two different versions of bounce. Unbelievable. Um, right, now the important stuff. Here's a theory, boys. The less elaborate Aubameyang's hair is, the less good he plays. Discuss. I know I've solved it. I've solved Arsenal's problems. There you go. Just give him, give him credit. Honestly, his hair is when his hair is all flat and like lifeless. Am I mental for? No. <laughs> I, I genuinely I don't understand how. How do you miss that? On a, on a, how on, on a more serious Phys- like physically how on a more serious <laughs> level? Yeah, the, the the miss was bad, but I'm right. shit. 
And I am near, <laughs> I am near certain that if that opportunity falls to me, I could do the same thing. I've seen you in Father's Side, mate. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, but as in, I, I could hit the post. I could hit the post. You could like hit that. the post, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, I'm shit. Brad, Brad sticking right. with you for a second. Um, we, were, we were just talking before before we started recording about the need for someone who can kind of hold that ball in that in that area. Oh, God. We all feel, I think we, we've said before on this podcast about how, and Rohan, and interested in your take on this as well, we feel it's, as though Aubameyang and Lacazette do half and half of a job. Aubameyang does sort of half of what, what we need out of a number nine. Lacazette does half of what we need out of a number nine. It'd be great to create this sort of Aubameyang person. And I think like Aubameyang... I don't want to go down the sort of age curve route, but he is starting to feel like a, a what would be a limit, a limit on this team, a, 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 a sort of a, a cap or a ceiling on, on where we can go. Um, Brad, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on, on his game and, and that in, in general. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> and the fact that his hair, the less, less good his hair is, is, is how is basically the, the key to all this. It was a it was a torrid performance. It really was from him. From his barber. Uh, he did not have his best Sorry. day at the office, and from his barber, you know, two big chances missed. Hit the woodwork <laughs> once. Had only one shot on target. Uh, lost possession seven times. Picked up a yellow card. Like it, it, I think everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong, and I think that is nowhere. I, I don't think his level, if he were to play at exactly his level, is everything Arsenal want. But I think this game was definitely not his level. This game was well below what he can do for Arsenal. He's just desperate for a goal. And he's playing like it. A bit like I felt kind of Nuno Tavares was playing in the first half to make up for mistakes. I feel like Aubameyang is is playing in a way where he's, he's just hungry for it. He's so desperate for it. And that's why he's been taking penalties when Lacazette's on the pitch, which is just the wrong decision. And... I think it is clear to see that the era of Aubameyang is over and maybe we shouldn't hitch our wagon to him for such a long time for such a large amount of money. But I think in that circumstance, the board is always going to do that. There's there's no kind of way around it. But there is a big need for a, for a new striker in the summer. I think he could easily play a bit part role and... I don't think we'll, if, if there is an opportunity to shift him kind of in January or the summer, I think you you bite it because he's on such large wages that that cash flow freed up that you could you could offer to someone else is is vital. But um, I just think the game has Arsenal's game has moved past what Abamyang is, and Abamyang is also not what Abamyang used to be. So both of those things in tandem are just making him look worse because we're not playing to his strengths and he's nowhere near the quality he used to be. So it, it it's it's kind of best that this this unfortunate loveless marriage comes to an end at some point whether we'll be able to end it anywhere before that that kind of contract end is is really unknowable but I would say that if there's an opportunity to ship out one of the two strikers in January and, and bring somebody in with the way that the league's looking, that should definitely be something that's explored because fourth place is up for grabs. Uh, you know, West Ham haven't been at their best this season, but are still performing well. Uh, United might come back at the races with Ranić, but Cristiano Ronaldo can't press. He doesn't have the legs for it anymore. And there is a, there is an option 
to get Champions League football mm-hmm. this season. And if anyone should throw as much money at, at that opportunity in January, it should be Arsenal because we mm-hmm. definitely have the financial capabilities to do it. It's just whether the owner and the club decide it's the right decision to do it. But I do think that there is a real need for some kind of attacking reinforcement, either in the form of a left winger or or a striker. We need something. Rohan, thoughts on who that might be? Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Come on. There's, this, there's quite a few, to be fair, aren't there? Um, I, I, for me, I've always looked at summer 2022 as the window where Arsenal go for that big money um, striker. And I genuinely do believe that's what the club will do, especially when I was hearing, you know, the Edu interview and you know, they're talking about certain windows, you need to fill holes. And um, it's not it's not about just signing two or three, you know, big num- money players it's about, you know, filling essential areas within the squad. But I think in the summer we'll be in a situation where we have filled a lot of holes and um, it's about bringing in level raisers, you know, someone who's going to lift that team. And centre-forward-wise, you know, there's there's quite a few out there, you know, we've been linked with, you know, like um, Alexander Isak, um, Vlavic, um, you know, who else there? Uh, Victor Ossimehen from Napoli as well. Um, Solomon Kalou. For me, Solomon Kalou. Oh, no, not those days. <laughs> Uh, the Denver Gonzalo Bar Higuain, days, wasn't it? Denver Bar, <laughs> Benzema. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think um, for me, the striker I, I would want Arsenal to go for is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, I've always, I've always wanted Absolutely. him at Arsenal. And um, do you know what? It's, it's a, it's a funny one because when I first watched Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it was against Arsenal. If you remember, it was in the five-one. It was actually Aubameyang's first game um, for us, and it was where he scored his opening goal, and Ramsey got a hat trick, and. Um, it was the first time I saw Calvert-Lewin. Goals from midfield? Goals from what? midfield. <laughs> <laughs> and it, was, it was Calvert-Lewin's first first game that I, I really saw him. And, um, you know, he was a beast in it, even though Everton were really under pressure in that game in terms of how much chances we were creating. He managed to get the goal for them. I remember it was a really good header. And since that moment to where he is right now, the progression in his game is unreal, you know. He's a lot more refined. And, you know, you look at his attributes, the way he can, you know, win any aerial duel against any type of centre-back. And um, that just gives you so much as a team. Because if you look at the way Arsenal want to play under Mikel Arteta, it's all about trying to gain advantages across the pitch, That, to put it in simple terms. Trying to put the, the opposition in a vulnerable state. And the way we do that, you know, we obviously play out from the back. We have a certain way in which it's structured and we look to progress through the lines and through the thirds in an effective manner. But sometimes it's going to be difficult to to kind of play against an opposition press. You look at Liverpool, for example, when, where they made it difficult for us in the second half. If you have someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you can go long, a little bit more direct. He can win those duels. And if you have players positioned in areas where they can collect second balls, you're up the pitch and you've put them under pressure. And then it puts doubt in the opposition's mind of, we can press Arsenal and we could get joy, but then they could just go long because you know someone like Aaron Ramsdale has got tremendous accuracy in the way he distributes the ball. They've got a different avenue. And I think that's what Dominic Calvert-Lewin would give us. I think in terms of improvements within his game, his, his technical ability, the way he can kind of, the, when the ball comes into his feet, he is a little bit loose. But I look at Arteta and I think he can definitely draw that into him because Aubameyang, whilst he's been incredibly frustrating for us, I... I have seen improvements in terms of his technical security since the Newcastle game last season away from home. Um, There have been games where it's still been really poor, like yesterday, for example, Watford, Brighton, where it's kind of been the old Aubameyang of the balls never sticking to him. But there have been games against the likes of Burnley, for example, against physical centre-backs. He's been really secure. And I look at Arteta, who's been able to kind of get a lot more out of Aubameyang in that sense. 
who's to say he can't do that with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's so young, who's got so much potential and, um, you know, gives us so much. The way he attacks crosses as well, you know, I just don't think we have that at the club as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Giroud did it really well for us in terms of that near post finish. Mm-hmm. Dominic Calvert-Lewin does that for Everton time and time again. You know, he's he's the centre forward I want. You know, I put this on Twitter and I got absolutely destroyed. You know, people just <laughs> don't seem to like Calvert-Lewin. Fair enough. But, um, I think he like, perfectly also fits yeah. an old style of what Arsenal used to be. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but me and Alex went to watch the Arsene Wenger documentary, which is a fantastic watch. But he talks about his first few years at the club as bringing together a core of British players who understand the values of the league and understand how difficult it is and also then bringing in European or foreign talent to merge with that. And we've seen with the signings of Ramsdale and Ben White, and then again, signing an English striker, almost the merging of that vision again, having that core of English players who know instinctively, you know, at points what it means to play in this league. Though I think with, you know, TV being more accessible and and the games being more accessible, I think everyone probably knows a bit more what it means to play in the Premier League now than back in 1996. But I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I think if we could get him in the summer or at any point, it it should be a move that Arsenal slap slap as much money as it takes down on. I just worry about Everton because they're the worst club to negotiate with. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of good striker targets out there. You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't just, you know, my only name. You know, I do really like, um, you know, Victor Ossimehan, but some of these guys, you know, it's going to be, a tremendous amount of money to bring them in but you've it's a case of Arsenal you know they've got to be smart in in recruitment again and they've just got to identify the right striker because it's for me it's imperative that we do address that in the summer because I think that takes our game to another level in the big games away from home you know I still think you know like you said I think Aubameyang and Lacazette can still have impact in the games that we're expected to win on paper, even though it's not obviously as easy to say that because the league is incred- incredibly competitive and there's a lot of top teams, you know, across um, the division. But I think they can still impact those games. But next season, I think it is all about trying to move away from that profile and go for that big money name. And, um, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it would definitely be um, a lot of money, but I do, I do think he'd be worth it. He's a really good player and... Um, just the way that he's progressed through his career and the qualities he has, I think he just takes us um, to another level. I think also in terms of someone to spearhead the Arsenal identity, I, I, I still think Saka and Smith are a little bit too young to become that kind of... You know, when you think of certain teams, we're going to look back on this Liverpool team and go Salah, Van Dijk, Alisson. You know, we're we're going to pick out those kind of players. And it very well be that, you know, in five, ten years' time, we're talking about the Saka and Smith Rowe team. But I think Calvert-Lewin, did you guys see him on MNF? Yeah. 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 He speaks really well. He's got yeah. a, a very marketable, um, if he if he gets the right, right sort of branding team, if he gets the right people around him, he could really be a sort of, as Harry Kane begins to age out, England's number one, sort of a very marketable striker. And, and you know, Calvert-Lewin, number nine at Arsenal, is a... Is a um, uh, a a uh, boyhood Arsenal fan as well. There's like tweets about Arsenal and stuff. I think it. I think it really fits on and off the pitch. And I think Arsenal, you know, and people like Josh Kroenke and Stan Kroenke need to be looking at this kind of stuff because ultimately it's a business. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is a business. And he both suits us on and off the pitch for me. And I think he's. Yeah, I think he's. What you guys have said about him on the pitch is is true. But I think there's a there's a real um, potential for him off off the pitch too. Um, s- speaking of sartorial choices. Why was Ramsdale wearing the away kit? What's the f- point? 
Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, that's a big check. Well, obviously, you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. Change the way you write with Grammarly Go, a product that offers personalized generative AI communication assistance. Grammarly Go is your AI partner, helping you ideate, compose, rewrite, and reply thoughtfully. Go to Grammarly.com slash go to learn more. That's Grammarly.com slash go. I, it will be something to do with rules. Yeah. Like oh, there'll, there'll yeah. be a rule oh, in the rules. league. Oh, I'm Brad. I know the rules. Oh. <laughs> It'll be it'll be to do with the fact that the Newcastle goalkeeper was in green, and so we couldn't wear our goalkeeper. I just don't understand why we wear don't have more one, than then. one goalkeeper kit. Wear the blue one. Yeah. Also, Adidas have done the same one for every everyone. They, yeah, the that pisses the... me off. That pisses me off. Lazy. That blue one should be <laughs> fucking copyrighted by Aaron Ramsdale. He looks so good at it. Oh, yeah, he does. Oh, <laughs> sexy boy. Sexy boy. Um. So in terms of the more sort of specifics of the of the game state, then I thought um uh, interested in your boys' takes on this again. You know, Newcastle I thought were starting to go man for man at the beginning, and then I think they realised we were getting in behind, so started dropping a little bit. And then it's about how do you how do you break down a low to mid block? I also think that again it's interesting what frame you view the game through because you know I was sort of looking on Twitter at halftime and there was beginning to be a bit of a narrative of you know again a sort of frustrated Arsenal performance where they're not quite creating chances. I think it was probably true to an extent, but I also thought Newcastle were defending really well. <laughs> like I think, I think sometimes the team who who potentially have the name or the team who are expected to win, it's often that the narrative is on to them. Well, Arsenal aren't creating enough, you know, chances. Arsenal and the halftime stuff is all focusing on what Arsenal need to do to break this down. Actually, I thought Lascelles and 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 um, who else would they have at back? I can't remember his name. Shaw. We're doing. Fabian Shaw. It was Craft and Richie. Yeah. Well, I thought they were doing all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, how do you break that down? And I thought there was many different ways. And I thought the one thing we were missing was a bit of chaos. And I think this is something that Arsenal it is a general point, to be honest, because I think I think sometimes you watch that Chelsea side and they're very, very choreographed, but there's a kind of choreography that breeds chaos. And I could only explain it by like showing it. And it was, this is an audio platform. But like when I watch them, I can see they've created chaos. And I think Arsenal are, are sometimes so choreographed that there isn't that final bit of flair, bit of bit of decision, a bit of uh, a moment, you know. And and we don't have the players like a Pepe who can combine all of that, um, all of that sort of chaos that they do have. And he brings so much of it with the structure at the moment. I think our forward players lead, lead, leave that to be desired. Um, I wanted to focus on Martin Erdegaard for a moment. Um, he was dropping in to build up and creating overloads nicely. He's got a very free role. Rohan, what's your take on Erdegaard? I, I, I think, I think he, I think he's still settling into the team. I'm not sure we have the forwards yet. I think, for example, him behind a Martinelli might be a an interesting proposition and might bring the best out of Erdegaard. What do you see as his? Do you think he's well? I don't think he's been struggling as much as people say. I mean, basically, what's your take on Martin Odegaard so far? I think there's been a lot of criticism on him. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely been mixed this season with Odegaard. I think um, when we look at it in the summer, 
the two big names that Arsenal were linked with was James Madison and Odegaard. And James Madison, you know how stubborn Leicester are in terms of the transfer market and how they are always able to quite a kind of acquire the maximum out of their players. And James Madison, whilst he has had an indifferent year and a half, his profile, his age, you know, the fact he's a creative midfielder and um, being English as well, I couldn't see them uh, letting him go for anything less than 60 to 70 million. Then I look at Martin Odegaard, who showed qualities in when he did come into the team on loan last season in January, had some good games, you know, against likes of West Ham, for example, um, Olympiacos, Spurs. And um, I think 30, 30 to 34 million, I think it was for Odegaard, or 60 to 70 million for James Madison. I'd take Odegaard 100% because Same. I think it's more value for money. Same. I think if mm. we look at him this season and um, he's had some good games, you know, definitely in the Norwich one, I thought he, I thought he played well um, in that game and against Burnley, um, he did well. There have also been some indifferent games again um, in, you know, the Brighton game, for example, where he just struggled to get a foothold, didn't demand the ball enough from what I would have personally liked. And um, there have also been some games where I think the system hasn't kind of helped him. You know, I look at Palace, for example, where for me, I know a lot of people talk about you know certain games against Burnley um for example where we went with 4-3-3 I didn't see it that way personally I thought it was more Odegaard playing alongside Thomas Partey in a more deeper role but against Palace that was the first time this season that Arteta's gone with a traditional like lone midfield pivot and party and then he had Odegaard and Smith Rowe playing just as those two number eights and it didn't it doesn't suit the team to be honest for me it, it never does on paper many will probably think oh it's an additional attacking player that you brought in but in reality it doesn't always work like that you're not going to be a team that's creating a lot more just because on paper it suggests it might might do. And I thought he had a poor game there, but I think that was more to do with the system. But there have also been games where he has been, for me, underwhelming from an individual perspective. And I looked yesterday as well um, as a performance where he, he did frustrate me um, personally. I think with Odegaard, like you say, I think he does really well in terms of when he drops deep within the right half space and he mm. kind of aids progression from getting us, you know, from the first or second phase to the final third at times when Ben White and Tommy Esso are operating a little bit deeper, more cautious. But I think with me for with Odegaard, it's the big criticism I have of him is when he's in between the lines and he's under contact, I don't think he's strong enough on the ball. You know, I think he needs to be a lot more secure in those moments. And I think sometimes he needs to be more aware of what's happening around him. You know, just the, the way he scans um, and he's, what he sees around him mm. in those situations, I think he can be a bit. He needs to be a lot sharper, and that's why he does kind of lose possession in those areas far too much. What I would personally like, you know, I think he's definitely a, a quality player. He's got a lot mm. of qualities that will definitely help us. It's just certain things I'd like him to improve on. I think the reason why for me in the summer, my my top target was Hosimawar was because of those reasons how secure he is when he's under contact and also I, I would have preferred us to have gone with the creative midfielder to have been right-footed because then I think it gives us a little bit more balance going forward on the right-hand side because obviously Tommy Asu I don't understand this narrative of he's not allowed to overlap. Generally in football, if there's an opportunity to overload, you will do it. It's just down on whoever's on the opposite side of the pitch playing left, but they've got to operate with a little bit more caution in that moment. But primarily Tommy Asu is the guy who's a lot more conservative from the two fullbacks. Mm. And then I look at Saka is our right winger and then you have Odegaard as our creative midfielder. I think Saka, whilst he can go both out to in, he's a lot better going inside with his left foot than on yep. the outside and I would have liked to have had our creative midfielder to have been a guy who can overload on the right hand side whereas yep. Odegaard Ooh. he's another guy who likes to come inside a lot he can't go from 
you can't go into out as good as what you can do from out to in. Oh, and I yeah. think that's another um, area that, that does concern me. But he, I think the criticism is over the top. He's still a very young player. You know, he has got a lot of quality and um, just, just give him time because this is his first time where he's played a lot of minutes in a game um, mm. for a while. So, yeah. yeah. And you've got to consider it's it's one of the first times he's played a lot of minutes in, yeah. in, in seasons and in general. You know, he wasn't exactly playing in Madrid. He had a this loan spell at Sociedad, I think, where he played a fair amount of football then went back to Madrid, wasn't playing, then had another six-month loan spell, and now we've got him. So this is the first time he's been kind of fighting for a real place in the team. So I do think there's patience needed. I agree with you. That was my one kind of reservation in the summer and kind of why I had a bit of an obsession with Emi Buendia for about six weeks because he would give us that option to go down that right-hand channel. Six years, mate. (laughs) It's about seven seven months at this rate. Um, But I think that... It, it's something that will develop with time. I just think that we're so, we're, we've been so blessed as Arsenal fans with so yeah. many like creative number 10s or creative midfielders that when someone isn't hitting the likes of Kozola from deep or Ozil in the centre or Burkamp or any of those types, we're going to overly criticism, yeah. criti- criticism, criticise them. And I think that's what's happening now. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think also a player in, the, in that position is more reliant than anyone on building up those relationships. So that's going to take the longest amount of time. I also think systemically, I think you're right about the spaces that he's occupying with Saka, Rohan. I think you're also right about him on the ball. I also think if you watch City, the reason City are so good is when they've got you in that low block, they could do anything. They could go over the top. They could go around the sides and cut it back. They could play line breakers. They can have shots from distance. You can do anything. And therefore, it, it creates so many different options. And when you have, I think Erdegaard is, as I say, not only relationship-wise, but sort of structure-wise, more influenced by everyone around him than any other player on the pitch. If you don't have someone who can run in behind, it takes away an option for him. And it's also that thing of, um, and Brad and I have talked about it with Ben White at the other end. If you know Ben White can can knock it 30 yards beyond you, can break past you, can also play it around you, can also knock it to his left back, you just give him that two yards extra space because you don't know what he's going to do. If you press him, he's going to play it around you. So, you know, it, it, it just creates those spaces. And I think Erdegaard, when he has people around him who can provide different things, I think we'll see we'll see a bit more see a bit more of him. Um, what a save from Ramsdale from that Shelby shot. I, do you know what? I've said I'm the word loving, Ramsdale, Brad's off. Here we go. <laughs> I am loving the fact that it's not even about Ramsdale. The Arsenal are, look, we're not, we're not ripping up trees, but Arsenal are so good right now. People are having to criticise our players for doing their job well. <laughs> oh yeah, because he, he saved it, it too well or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like, I'm, I'm seeing people with wonky eyes, you know, watch the slow-mo and say, oh, we should have caught it. It's, a, it's just idiots, man. Like it's an unbelievable save again and again and again. And one thing that's really impressed me other than what, you know, the flashy moments, the camera saves is the the concentration levels to make yeah. those regular yeah. stops. One thing that I think is the biggest criticism of last season with Leno is that so many points where we'd be dominating games. I remember the Everton game where yeah. he scores the own goal and we lose it because he's just not in the game. He's just not there. And we've not seen an ounce of that from Ramsdale. And that's exactly what we've needed. That, and again, it, ju- it does just go back to the point the club have got it so right this summer 
you can talk about four of the six summer signings being the signing of the season for Arsenal. And that is amazing. And he is a big, big reason that Arsenal are literally in touching distance of Champions League football over a third of the way into the Premier League season. Honestly, Rohan, I've considered doing a whole podcast where I just come on and say, welcome to Different Dot Podcast. Bradley, Ramsdale, leaving, coming back an hour an hour later, pod's done. <laughs> I no love problem. It. I no, love it. You're so right. Everything you said yeah, is so right. He's, he's spot on. Honestly, yeah. like, man, I've got this one so wrong. Like, before me too. Me too. Him, I didn't. I, I was. Uh... I, yeah. <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> <the fuck up. laughs> Do you know what? Because I'll always own up to mistakes that I'll make in judgment. I really don't care because for me, what matters is if Arsenal do well. And um, before, you know, when it was announced that Aaron Ramsdale was signing, obviously, no matter who puts on our famous red and white colours, I'll always support you. I'll never abuse you. You know, I see a lot of people in the stands, you know, some of the, the comments that you, you kind of get to players when they make a mistake, it's, I just don't, I'm not a fan of that. And even if I'm not a fan of you as a player, I'll always still support you. And um, that was kind of my thoughts on Ramsey when we signed him. But I was really, I really felt that the club made the wrong decision going for him. But how wrong was I? You know, they must have, they definitely looked at his Bournemouth days when he did play under Eddie Howe. You know, funnily enough, mm. who was on the touchline uh, against us um, yesterday. And they must, they've obviously saw something in terms of the way he was composed and the, the qualities he gives on the ball. You know, because... Burn Leno, I think he's received a lot of slander, to be fair, you know, from Arsenal fans. And um, because I do think he's given us a lot. And when I look at consistency and longevity, you know, longevity I use because I think obviously Emmy Martinez, the spell he had when he came in, the sample size isn't big enough to what Leno has done for us um, in terms of the qualities he's given in shot stopping. I think he's been arguably our best goalkeeper since Jens Lehmann. But it's oh, very Jens Lehmann. Jens Lehmann. Oh, <laughs> and what but it's very clear that Bern Leonard doesn't suit the modern team. You know, it's, you know, in terms of the anxiety he gives to players amongst the back line, you know, to fans as well in the stadium, you know, he's not calm and composed on the ball. And that's a massive cross um, in at any team that plays, you know, for Chelsea, for Man City, for Bayern Munich, you know, all these teams, he wouldn't suit them despite him being really good in certain aspects. And you make a really good point as well, Bradley, because under Emery, Burn Lennon was fantastic because he was constantly active. He knew when he went into games, right, I'm going to have to make save after save after save. Because quite frankly, the distances between our midfield and defence were laughable and how E-teams were just going through us so easily. But since Arteta's came in, it's not just the distribution that he lacks and his um, inability to provide quick decision-making with the ball, but it's also the fact that we face lower volume in terms of shots on goal. And... Burn Leno, that's been his massive kind of flaw, concentration levels. And the Everton games are a really good example. There are other games as well um, since he's, um, since Arteta's came in. I remember against Chelsea, you know, when um, Jorginho scored the goal and um, he's coming, he has a massive misjudgment. You know, he, he had barely nothing to do in that game as well. Um, whereas Aaron Ramsdale, you know, performances like the one yesterday against Newcastle are just as impressive because I, I tweeted it out yesterday where sometimes... As a goalkeeper, you know, a lot of occasions under Arteta when we play these types of teams, you're going to have very minimal work to do, but you are always going to be called up into action in one or two moments at the very least. And that was a tremendous save, you know, from the Shelby shot. And it's actually quite interesting because if you watch Ramsdale's um, interview, well, not interview, kind of like the the video with Tubes um, and the golf, he, he makes a really, it's quite interesting. What he says is he knows there's going to be games for Arsenal in comparison to Sheffield United where he's going to have nothing to do. So in his head, 
instead of just constantly thinking, right, I can't make a mistake. I've got to be switched on. I've got to be switched on. He tries to kind of rile up the crowd, you know, um, especially away from home and to try and stick it on them. And he wants that abuse from them because then in his head, he knows, right, I can't make a mistake now because I can't let them get one over me. And I think that's so good. What's like, the mentality, mentality thing? That it's the mentality unreal. thing. The mentalities because, that we've signed yeah. this season are just elite. And when I just listened to that, I thought, wow, that just that just makes sense, doesn't it? Because obviously, if you were in goal for Arsenal, I was in goal for Arsenal, we know that, right, I might not have much to do in this game. So that kind of brings a bit of tension and anxiety, like, I can't make a mistake, I can't make a mistake. But then if you've got something like, you know, riling up the crowd, particularly away from home, you know that, right, I definitely can't make a mistake now because I can't let them get one over me. And he's just been fantastic, you know, like, everything about him, you know, um, the the quality on the ball, the way he breaks lines through central areas, the, 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 the trajectory in which he hits his long passes is phenomenal. And, um, you know, obviously shot stopping as well. He's, he's been brilliant as well. He, he's just had a, such a fantastic start and credit to the recruitment team as well. You know, like um, they've got this one massively correct. You know, the other ones like Ben White, for example, me personally, I could never have seen this one failing. Obviously, the, the only thing Ben White needs to give us now is longevity, but I'm very adamant that you'll give us this. But Ramsdale was the one that was really kind of like divided amongst the fan base I was definitely more on the Anana camp um, to get him in but they've, they've done brilliantly and um, yeah definitely a massive credit to Arteta and even Edu as well you know Edu I've given him a lot of criticism um, since he's came to the club but I think if you give Arteta credit you have to give Edu credit as well because obviously there are reports that you know Edu wanted Neto and um, he wanted this player but they still have to come to an agreement and um, you know it, it's not just praise Arteta for everything. I'm, I'm definitely going to give Edu credit as well because you have to ha- make that joint decision because we've had a lot of problems with conflict of interest. You know, Raul Sayeni, he pr- preferred, you know, contacts, whereas Sven Mislintat, you know, preferred like analysis and scouting and there was tension there. But I think Arteta and Edu, they've clearly are, are on the same wavelength in terms of where mm. the club want to go and um, it's really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I've a uh, clang. I've got a friend who, who met Aaron Ramsdale and he said like the one thing that he he took from the interaction was just how confident he was just like just had just this unsh- and not not necessarily even an arrogant thing just a pure confidence in everything he did in in what he wanted to do like they, just, they were like having like a night or something like not a night out or something and just like no no we're doing this this is happening just pure confidence and i think having that in your football team not sure I'd want to hang out with it but like do you know what i mean that's what you need in a football team and having someone who i think he says in his um in his uh, like when he joins the club, he says the thing I love is proving people wrong. And I think he's he's done that to all of us certainly. Um, much better start to the second half. The sort of chaos thing was happening. Um, I felt the game quickened up. Sambi with some lovely line breakers, and I think the goal comes out of all of that. Um, lovely press from Abamyang. Newcastle make a mistake. Nuno inverts, and then some lovely combination and and the Saka finish. Um, why did Saka do Özil's? Celebration. Ask him, mate. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I hang on. Me. Sorry, I just call him. Yeah, just... <laughs> Hi, Bukayo. <laughs> I was um, thinking maybe is is he in the stands or something? But I... no, he's playing for Fenerbahce. So like, I don't, I don't know. He's um, trusting the process at Fenerbahce. But... <laughs> um, also, love Mikel geeing the crowd up. That was fucking great. Yeah. He was doing a bit. He was and he's doing that kind of Rams And again, all of these things like we kind of say that goal hadn't happened, we'd be going, you know, we'd, we'd, we might have been sitting here, you know, picking the bones out of this game going, you know, we needed something, we needed something. But actually, we did get something. We got a reaction after half time, and we, we saw people 
up their intensity. We saw some positional rotation and and, and that's what leads to the goal. Um, I also want to point out there's a moment on 72 minutes, which I absolutely loved if, if anyone's going to rewatch the game, where Jacob Murphy gets free on our left-hand side and puts a ball in. And Tommy Asu just body checks Willock just slightly, just ever so slightly, so he can't get to the back post. Things like that, I I know this sounds mental, but get you five, six places higher up the table. Those moments, because that's if if that goes in, and you know, I think it was, I think it might have been at one nil or or certainly, and Newcastle get back back into the game. Having people who have that football IQ, having people who are smart on the pitch, and at what twenty two, twenty three, Tommy Asu, these players are only going to grow. And I haven't Ooh. seen from an Arsenal team a moment like that and lots of moments like that and, and like the Ramsdale, you know, turning around and getting in, in with the crowd. People who seem to have that football IQ and IQ in general to to know how to win football games. And it's it's just so nice to see. Um, there's other moments around, uh, like there's there's a moment where Dubravka picks up the ball and Martinelli gets in front of him so he can't release the ball quickly. And I'm seeing that more and more from players in an Arsenal shirt. And it's like you say, things like that will change specific moments that might give you an extra six points across a season. And when you consider we were, was it five points off Champions League football last season? Five or six points? Yeah, six points. Yeah. You get that extra six points. You're in a completely different ballpark uh, in this very compressed league. And having a manager that has the intelligence to put that across to the players or a coach that that has the intelligence to put that across. And then the players who have have picked that up um, is, is really smart. And I I just wanted to mention, I I watched some stuff with Ralph Ranić after the appointment. And one thing that he did early in his career is he always signed youth and young players because he felt like you needed to get it into the blood and into the veins of them. And I think that that is a, is another way that we're going and signing a lot of these young players and giving opportunities to Martinelli and giving opportunity and playing Saka and Smith Rowe all the time and having such a young back line is to get this automated way of playing mm. into their blood yep. so that they can do it in their sleep and that they don't have to think, oh, I need to press in on the keeper on this moment to stop him releasing it. It's autonomous. Yep. So they can then use their brain power to think of other things. Yep. And that's what clubs like City have. That's what clubs like like Chelsea have. They've ingrained that in their talent at Cobham for years. And the fact that we're starting to see that and do that now is a massive mm. positive, not just for now, but for five, 10 years time. Yeah. And that the autonomies, uh, the uh, <clears throat> principles of juego de posición, one of them is the, is the autonomous, is the autonomous decisions. The, you don't need to think about when your fullback cuts inside, you go outside. It's, it's not a thought process. It's you just yeah. do it. And I think, yeah, I, I, I think not only in the, in the kind of the tactical and the football side of things, having that, in the mental side of things is is, is so important it's like um, when you play a game isn't it you know just a, just muscle memory you know certain things that you you know you don't need to think out think about you just do it and I think that's you know it's a really good point in terms of the young players you know trying to get that into them early because you know Arteta just like Thomas Tuchel Julian Nagelsmann Hansi Flick his style of play his vision is positional play 
you know, and that's what he wants Arsenal to do. And, um, you know, like you can see the ingredients. I'm actually going to, I'm writing, like I'm preparing a massive like project on Arteta's positional play. Like it's, oh. it's, right now, it's on like 3000 words and uh, it's, it's not finished yet. And, wet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I'll yeah. I'll turn like, the note uh, is on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just that it's muscle I'm about memory, to tweet the, here we go. <laughs> But yeah, it's just getting that muscle memory into them, just trying to make sure that they understand what they need to do in any given moment, depending on where the ball is, where a teammate is positioned. And, you know, just like, for example, Tom Yasu, you know, like we said, you know, he's more the more conservative fullback. But at the same time, when there's an opportunity to put the opposition in a vulnerable state, he will overlap. And then when he does that, in order to keep the structure in place that Arteta wants, the left back needs to be a lot more cautious so that if we do lose the ball, we still have enough bodies to kind of prevent a counter. And that's what we do so well. You know, like Watford, great example, you know, that front three, Dennis, Saar and King, it's electric. You know, they will cause teams so many problems. They cause Man United problems. They scored five against Everton. They scored two against um, Leicester today. I didn't watch that game, but in terms of XG... They were really, they were they were really causing the problems. I watched the yeah. first half and then the snow came down. You couldn't see the ball. So I just I switched to the Brentford game and there was... it Genuinely, it was uh, 3-1 at half time. And on the basis of play... Watford should have been 3-1 up. They were constantly at it and constantly in behind. You know, there's a shot from someone that takes a deflection and hits the post. There's a couple of good saves from Schmeichel and it, it's just defensive errors that that lost them that game today. And the way that we managed them was That's exactly brilliant. it. You know, like, I don't think we... This back line, you know, Tomiyasu, Gabriel, White, they got enough credit in terms of the performances they provided and how the only chance Watford had came from an Aaron Ramsdale misjudgment, you know, right towards, you know, near the end of the game. And against Newcastle as well, I'll guarantee you that, you know, Eddie Howe, under Eddie Howe, Alan St. Maximum and Callum Wilson will cause teams so many problems. But again, how many chances did they create? The only real big moment they had was that John Joe Shelby long range shot and you can't really call that a, a big chance isn't it it was just a very good strike and a fantastic save from Aaron Ramsey so I think you know the, the structure in place Mikel Arteta has always made Arsenal a better team from a defensive point of view without being a defensive team I think that's what I always want to reiterate and now you're seeing it a lot more when you've got level raisers you know players who are so good who have the intelligence like Tommy Yasu for Bologna you know I didn't know who he was before because I don't watch much of Serie yeah, I, I watch, you know, likes of Liga Un and Bundesliga a lot more. But instead of, you know, just jumping on the bandwagon going, oh, why are Arsenal going for another panic signing? I thought, let's watch him for two or three games over full 90 minutes just to see the type of player he is. And straight away, it made sense because the role that he played for Bologna is exactly the same role that he plays for Arsenal. And that's why he's been able to adapt so quickly and he's been putting in really good performances, you know. And again, it's just massive credit to the recruitment team. Big time, big time. Uh, Martinelli on, on the right-hand side when Saka went injured in place of Pepe. Uh, before we talk about Martinelli, I think that's significant because I think, I think I'm think i correct in saying that's the first time that's happened where Martinelli has come on ahead of Pepe. We, I'm not sure the last mm-hmm. time we saw Pepe. Is he done with him? Last time we saw Pepe was the um, the last Carabao Cup game. I think he, he, he featured for the last five minutes against, no, 10 to 15 minutes against Leicester, I think, um, in the Premier League. That was it. But Was that yeah. before or after the Leeds game? But so did Kolasinac, uh, So <laughs> Yeah, I think it was after. I think it was I after. Think. Maybe. I might, he, be wrong, I'm not sure. I might be wrong, though. I really don't know. <laughs> Is he done with him, Brad? 
yeah, I reckon that's it. That I think you have to, Arteta is smart enough to understand what that is as a statement. Your club record 72 million pound signing on the bench, you bring on a kid from the fourth tier of Brazilian football. And it's not even his natural side. Martinelli's much better than that. Yeah, and that's that's the big thing. And Martinelli in that Wimbledon game when playing on the right-hand side was not particularly impressive purely because of what he was being asked to do. But the fact that we've seen him on the right-hand side not be particularly impressive against weak opposition to bring him on over Pepe, who not only, you know, with all the caveats of club record signing, you know, players can't control what they're bought for, but also the fact that he was our top goal contributor last season, it is over. I think that's that's the biggest statement and that's the the truest statement that it's over. It's it's almost like what we were seeing with, with Bellerin come to the end of last season when he couldn't grab a minute. Mm-hmm. And you knew that that was the end of the road for Hector Bellerin. We're seeing it now. Um, I think, yeah, that if we can get him gone in January, that's probably the smartest move. But whether we'll be able to do that, I just, it's a shame because it hasn't worked out. And I do think there's a really talented player in there in the right system. And we saw it at, at Lille in the right system under the right manager with the right circumstances in, in, in the right league. The wind blowing in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, but he can explode. And we've seen certain players really struggle in certain leagues when they've gone out there. You know, Messi has not had the best time so far in France. And I don't know where Rohan sits. Probably He's one of the best two players of all time. So anyone can struggle coming to a new league. I just think that there's been a lack of progression in really vital areas like technical security, first touch, yeah. kind of that's just meant that there is no way, there's no way for him to move forward in this team because he can't make those basic steps up. So I think it's it's definitely over. It's just a question. It's it's like Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think they're part of the bygone era at Arsenal. Their time is over. It's just a question of when we can get shot of these people. Yeah. Yeah, Tim Stillman made a point on a recent Ask Blog thing, which I really agree with, which is if you want to know what a manager really thinks of a player, don't look at what they've said about them. Look how many minutes they've played. And that's it. And and it's not necessarily that Pepe's a bad player. And, and Rowan, I'm interested in your, your take on this. Like, I just don't think when you've got Saka on that right-hand side and what he does and the way he can break up in a game, the way he can use his body and all, all of the, you know his his dribbling ability, all of the things that Saka can do and the way he contributes to that build-up uh, and that final phase, Pepe just isn't as good. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a shame, isn't it? You know, massive amounts of money. You know, our, our club record signing. You know, seventy-two million. And you know, it's I, his I, full I name, like seventy-two million pound Nicholas Pepe. That's his full name. <laughs> and I, I do like Arteta that he's tried to give him opportunities this season because he has. You know, against Brentford, he played the whole game. Um, you know, he was one of the poorer performers in that game, but he kept him on. Um, for the whole 90. Um, he played against Norwich, you know, um, played against Chelsea as well. I think he was out ill in the Man City game. Um, he's give, been giving opportunities this season, but again, he, he just flatters to deceive, unfortunately. You know, I, I wrote an article on Pepe before the season started and I felt he showed improvements towards the back end of last season, but he's still just lacking the the fundamentals, you know, in terms of ball retention, the ability to kind of do the simple things correctly. And quite frankly, very similar to Bern Leno, he just doesn't suit a team that wants to play this style of football. And Bayern Munich, their scout report of Pepe is just spot on and it's very simple. He's a good player, 
can be very effective in the in a right system. And what they mean by that is essentially a team. You look at Leicester when they won the Premier League, where in a lot of the games, it wasn't down on them to take the initiative. They were happy to sit a lot deeper than they would spring counters. Pepe thrives when there's open space where you can, you know, make runs um, beyond the back line. And that's where he's suited. But in a team that, you know, is essentially Arsenal against most opposition, they're going to be sitting a lot deeper. There's not that much space for him to operate in. He, he just doesn't suit it, unfortunately. And um, it is a shame because, you know, I, I wanted this one to work, but for me, Pepe just needs far too many requirements as well for him to flourish. You know, and what I mean by that is he needs an option on the inside, he needs an option on the outside at all all times, you know. And okay, if you let's say you give him that, and that's what fans, certain fans want um Arteta to do, you still don't have that confidence that he's still gonna be a reliable figure in the team. So you're gonna base the team around him, but is he still gonna give you the consistency that you need? I don't think he will. And um the club over the years have had a massive problem in terms of selling players at the right time. So Pepe is definitely going to be a difficult one to kind of move on. But whatever offer comes in, even if it's 20 to 25 million, I think Arsenal just have to take to bite the bullet and just move on. You know, it's been a massive disaster in terms of a business point of view. You know, signing a player for 20, for 72 million, then selling him for a, a really small fee it's it's very poor but at the same time sometimes you just gotta you know accept the L and move on on this one and um, you know and that's the thing with Bakaya Saka and Nicolas Pepe you know Bakaya Saka can hold the flank on his own you know and he can still influence the game he can have two players on him the ball can be delivered from Ben White or Aaron Ramsdale he can take that ball under control even when he's under pressure he can hold it and he can wait for other players to give him a lot of support um, when um, because of the way he kind of shields the ball you know Saka does that brilliantly Mares does it for Manchester City you know Everyone talks about the fact that, you know, you need an overlapping right back at all times. But look at the way Man City play. You know, a clear pattern of play that they have is Cancelo or Rodri getting that ball, cutting it onto their right right foot and then switching the play, getting it into the right channel. And then Mahrez is in a situation where he's isolated on his own, but he has the quality and um, the, the technical security to make something happen. And Bukayo Saka gives that to Arsenal. Pepe, unfortunately, doesn't. Because when the ball is played into him, even though sometimes the touch is okay. It's not enough. It needs to be a clean touch. Whereas Bakai Saka can take that ball brilliantly. Mohamed Salah can take the ball brilliantly. Riyad Mahrez can take the ball brilliantly. And that's just the difference, you know. He's not a bad player. You know, I think, you know, Twitter, there's no in-between sometimes. You know, it's either you're a good player or you're just complete garbage. Pepe's not garbage. He can suit a certain system, Mm -hmm. just not a team that's like Arsenal or any other um, club that wants to play this type of football. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it reminds me actually weirdly of the of the Pogba thing of sort of how many players do you need to buy to unlock Paul Pogba? It's like at some point you have to accept that the player just isn't right for the team, and that's fine. And it's not doesn't make him a bad player. It just it just is what it is. And um, yeah, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. We don't. We just don't want to put ourselves in the situation United are in. United are going to lose the asset of Paul Pogba, who is a world class central midfielder, for free, and we don't want to. Nicola Pepe is nowhere near that level but he's certainly a 25-30 million pound player we don't want to lose him for 10 million pounds because we keep him one summer too many weirdly he would have been perfect in that Solskjaer team end of last year I think think Pepe would have been great in that team um just very quickly on the goal because we haven't got much time. Uh, great ball from Tomiyasu and the movement from Martinelli. That is a centre-forwards goal, mate. And I think eventually 
that's where I see him. The more the more I watch Martelli, the more I just think he's a pressing forward. Like at, at some point, we I don't know when that happens. Maybe after Calvert Lewin comes, arrives, scores fifteen uh, fifteen goals every game uh, for five years, and then and then that happens. But I think eventually Martelli goes there. Arsenal have won 18 and lost just one of the last 19 matches against um, Newcastle United. Uh, and Arsenal managed 24 shots against Newcastle, their second highest tally in a single Premier League game, most of them from Nuno Tavares under Mikel Arteta, uh, <laughs> other than the Norwich game earlier on the season. Anything else on the game, Boises? Nah. Rohan? Uh, Anything from you? Anything from me? Um, you know, I think we, we spoke a lot about it, didn't we? You know, the way Ben White played brilliantly. You know, again... When will this guy get his flowers? You know, he's... I, I think, actually, the last time I came on here, we were talking about Ben White and Basuma. And, you know, I think we were all in agreement that Ben White was going to be a top signing for Arsenal. And look what's happened. You know, the Brentford game, there were massive mitigating circumstances and the criticism was way over the top. You know, Ivan Tony is one of the best um, forwards in the Premier League in terms of physicality and winning aerial duels. That was going to be a tough game for Ben White. And also, you know, he didn't get the support from... Pablo Mari and Callum Chambers around him as well in that game. But look at the consistency he's provided. You know, Harry Kane nullified him completely. Jamie Vardy nullified him. Um, two physical forwards in Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes did really well from a defensive perspective. Against Brighton, for me, he was our man of the match. Um, other games as well, you know, yesterday, fantastic. Against Watford, brilliant. He's just been incredible both with and without the ball he is him and Gabriel you know just typify what you need from the modern day center back they're aggressive they're capable of playing passes through the lines they can recover um which is why they're very suited in, in terms of us trying to squeeze as a unit and screen um the opposition because if the ball does get played in behind they could get back into position with ease and can kind of prevent anything from happening that's why they were able to kind of nullify you know dangerous electric players like of Melisar, Dennis and King and recently St. Maximan as well you know so Sambi Lukonga as well we spoke about him fantastic Ramsdale um, yeah just a lot of positives and um, I think you know last week against Liverpool it's obviously 4-0 can be frustrating but that game was never going to define us our season is defined against the teams that on paper we are expected to be consistent against both home and away. And that's what's going to define us. So yesterday's result was massive in that sense. You know, so um, if we can continue to do that, we'll be close. You know, I'm not saying that we will get top four because for me, before the season started, I felt that this team's ceiling is fifth. But at the same time, depending on what's happened with Manchester United, there's a really good opportunity there to just keep the pressure on and just to kind of stay within touching distance and maybe capitalise come the end of the season. And who knows, you know, top four could be... Um, well within our reach, providing none of our key players get injured because I still do worry if Ben White and Gabriel, either of them sustain an injury because the quality mm. that we have in reserve just simply, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, we can't play this way. You know, we'll have to sit a lot deeper at times because the likes of Pablo Mari, for example, they can't defend isolated moments like a Ben White or a Gabriel can do. So that's the worry I do have, um, injuries to key players. But if everyone does stay fit, you know, Granite Jack are coming in soon as well, hopefully. I think that um, we can have a strong season and um, um, a lot of people will continue to see the progression with Arsenal. There it is. Done. <laughs> 3,000 words. It's coming. <laughs> uh, right, boys. We've just got, we haven't got time for news and views today, so we've just got time, Bradley, for what? A little bit of Arsenal trivia. Okay. 
Here we go, Rohan. Here we go. I think I'm pretty sure you you bested Brad last time you were on. So uh, this could be interesting. Uh, Brad, oh, absolutely. Brad got me. Oh, did Brad he? Got me. I think last. But do, do you know? Do you know what it was? Because I said that you know I didn't miss an Arsenal game for nine years, and then you gave me a game on the spot, and I managed to get it. So oh yeah, I remember that. Now. So I remember that. I was yeah. I was happy with that because I was a nah. bit of pressure. Nah. <laughs> that uh, was the moment. The question I asked, and it was a niche one. It was a niche one. Name all of the colours on the socks of each of this year's kits. <laughs> all right. I'll the give you a clue. Kit. I'll give you a clue, okay? On the home <laughs> kit, there's three colours. On the away kit, there's three colours. And on the third kit, there is two colours. On the home kit, it's red, white, and blue. On the away kit, it's yellow, white, and blue. And on the third kit, it's blue and red. Rohan? Oh, my God. I generally don't know. Uh, the home kit, what, red, white, and, yeah, blue, I think. I don't know. Uh-huh. Away kit. Um, I, I, I just don't know. Um, <laughs> yellow. Um, yellow and blue, and then the away kit, I'll just go for blue and white oh my I god no 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 rohan rohan you've you are correct other than you've missed one color out on and brad's wrong oh. apart from you missed one color out on the on the away socks so you said yellow and red we need one yeah. more blue hey! Hey! oh my that's god that's unbelievable done it. that's unbelievable Do you know- you know what it was about oh. with Arsenal trivia? I'll back myself on anything, obviously, apart from, you know, like kits and colours and also numbers on the back. I generally just, I, I don't, I, I'm so like lost in terms of numbers. I don't know. Like even even the team right now, you know, I I probably don't even know a lot of the the numbers on the back of their shirts. Seriously, like, that is the one. Yeah, that's the one thing that I just it just never clocks in my brain. I can remember, you know, like games, <laughs> goal scorers, you know, in terms of history and stuff, but names, like numbers on the back of shirts, I just can't seem to like remember them consistently. Honest, I, I don't know why. Honestly, mate, <laughs> maybe I need to brush up on it. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it's just one of those things that some brains I. I could I back myself top top four. I could probably give you every number. It's just could something you? that sticks, but I can't remember games. Yeah. You know what I mean? The way you can remember games, yeah. I just don't remember them. So there you go. All different, aren't we? Honestly. All um, different. <laughs> uh, so your question for next week is: How many career goals for Nuno Tavares? How many career goals for Nuno Tavares? Actually, Rohan, you can guess, and I'll tell you after the podcast. Um, how many career goals? Thing is, he did start off as a winger, you know, Tavares, because I did an interview. No, I didn't do an interview. Someone did an interview for football.london, and I had to kind of cover that as well with a coach who was working with Tavares. So, um, Clang. seven, okay. seven goals. Okay, I'll tell you yeah. after the pod. Tell after the pod. That was an absolute pleasure, boys. What a void. Yeah, mate. Unbelievable, Rohan. We love having you. We'll have to have you oh, back thank on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely come back on. I just love. I just appreciate when people ask. Uh, you know, I always, I always definitely come on because I just love talking about football and Arsenal. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, baby. You, you guys do really good. You've actually got really good podcast voices. I reckon. You know, like, uh, so you're definitely suited to it. And because uh, we chat so time. much shit. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, it just it just settles in a smoky. Or was it smoky low voice like this? Um, Tone. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, anything to plug? Go on. 
Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you can catch me on Twitter at RJ Arsenal blog. Um, I, I do freelancing for Football London. I write articles as well for Gunners Town and Arsenal Review as well. And just, yeah, that's kind of where you can find me. If you want to follow, follow. If you don't, that's, that's fine as well. It's a very, very yeah. good follow. Uh, yeah, pleasure. Thank you so much, Rohan. Thanks as always for listening. Keep it different, Knock, and we will see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.